and just like that we are live yeah hello everyone uh hang on i need to light my cigar <laughs> but i think i can do it while i'm rolling the intro you're listening to the fight for together podcast you didn't oh. get very far what? <laughs> you didn't get very far into my cigar no no i just had it stuck in my mouth already here um we got a little bit of critique for um not smoking on the last podcast that's what i like to hear so i don't want to do our listeners dirty by not smoking twice in a row where's the matches hang on one second can you say stuff yeah well it feels good to get back on here it's been a couple weeks uh, we have some interesting family you're throwing ashes on yourself oh shit uh, are you on fire right now there's like ash falling on myself and on this chair it's yikes, an expensive yikes, chair. yikes 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 um we have some stuff we want to talk about in regard <laughs> ben's lighting himself on burn my fire uh that has to do with what our family's going through um that more recently a topic take it away ben okay hang on i need to light my cigar one more time here okay first of all what i want to say is i already know whatever we titled this podcast pisses me off why what do you mean because using the phrase like learning disability oh is already something i don't like it's a negative term like disability yeah and it's a it's an easy way to like classify a whole person so don't you say special needs isn't that a little bit more I don't know, but I guess the point of what I'm getting at is in the YouTube world, podcast world, there's two questions we have to come up with. One is, what do we want to talk about? And then what do we title a video? Yeah. And those are two separate things. And a lot of people don't get that. And they're like, clickbait, clickbait. Well, yeah, use clickbait because if you make an awesome video, but no one clicks on Mm -hmm. it, it kind of defeats the purpose. So there's this whole like game of like getting people to click. Now, how I know if something's clickbait or not is if they click it and then they watch it and then they're actually disappointed, then I feel like we're misrepresenting the content. But we're going to be talking about our family and one of our kids. And although learning disability is a phrase that's used to describe people out in the regular world, it's not a phrase that I use in my own vocabulary mm-hmm. to describe any of my kids or myself. Or I'm not against it, actually. I just It's just not a word you hear around here very often. Mm-mm. So, that being said, let's just get into the story, shall we? Let's um, do it. So, we started um, like an unschooling process. Uh, like eight years ago. Which is so weird that it's even called unschooling. Because what it looked like for us was we were doing a lot of homeschooling. Can I fix your... Like, okay, that's better. Fix your hair. I just fixed Ben's hair because it was sticking up. Feel better now? Yeah, I feel better. All right. 
um, we were, we, we dabbled with a year of public school and then we went into probably five or six years of pretty intense homeschooling. Just switched like a bunch of different curriculums. I could never quite figure out. I was trying to find out what is a curriculum that I can stick with. And then I finally later just realized I didn't really like, because all the curriculums are kind of the same. In that, you have this checklist you need to check off and you have your kids sit down for like three or four or five hours a day. And there's all these books that textbooks that they go through. So I shopped around who knows how much money I spent on different curriculums. We did like different co-op stuff. I think we thought every, the more money we spent on curriculum, the better. That was <laughs> the my, easier it was gonna our be, answer, yeah. And the better qualified our kids were gonna be. Yeah. So, but a standard learning session is a ton of stress by the teacher AKA us parents, a ton of stress on the part of the kids. Why is that so not centered? Well, I realized like I just didn't want to do it. I wasn't, I was never a person that really got off on that. I was like, I, I always felt like drudgery to me. It was not something that gave me life. It was just like, but I got to do it because I don't want my kids to be stupid. Yes, but not only that, the kids hated it too. They hated it all the time. Yeah. Like there would be these math lessons where they'd walk away crying and I didn't feel like they're like learning anything. And people are going to be like, well, why don't you do public school? That's where people learn. Give me a break. Like, <laughs> Both you and I have done public school. <laughs> yeah. And not that I don't want to shit on it completely, but for the amount of time that you spend learning i mean we're talking 12 fucking years here i didn't walk away with it was not an efficient efficient learning experience for me um it's just not wasn't something that we wanted to do we didn't want to put our kids in public school and we had the ability not to put them in public school so yeah so then fast forward to to 2012 we moved out here to kentucky from seattle and i kind of think it like we had the stillbirth and i think it was around that time um that we just decided let's be done with this whole or no we just said like let's take a year off we said let's take a year off of school yeah which is really crazy one how difficult it was just to stop schooling oh, for man. you. You'd think that'd be easy. For me, it was really hard. Like, I felt like as soon as I stopped, the voices this that were already crazy. Hang on, keep in my head telling me these things like, you better not fuck this up. Well, back then I didn't say the word fuck, but you better not mess this up for your kids. Uh, those voices just got louder because I didn't have anything that I was doing to silence those voices. But the craziest thing happened is as I, the more I just went through those months of not doing what we used to do with school, the more 
those voices just got quieter and quieter. Um, it was kind of weird. It was like, it was like the stuff that I was doing was actually making the voices louder for me. Um, but yeah, it was really not easy. I want to back up just one smidge and talk about why we quit for a year. Yeah. It wasn't because we're against education or that we didn't care about preparing our kids or that it was just too hard. Mm-hmm. It was actually because I started to get convinced that the best learning happens when you're inspired to learn something yourself, not when you're forced to. That's right. And all right. of our models of both being taught things ourselves and passing things on to our kids all involved essentially force and coercion and some form of manipulation. So it's like, Hmm. you have to go to school and we make kids like we made kids like learn math, which is like, I don't want to get into if the, like the ethics of that, because I'm not going to say it's wrong, but wouldn't it be better? I mean, this is what we started to question at least. Wouldn't it be better if a kid was dying, they woke up one day, there was like, I can't wait to learn math. Will you teach me? Yeah. So much more of their energy is going to be spent towards actual math than it will be hating the methods through which they're being taught. Yeah. I think we have this idea in our culture that it's better for a kid to hate math and know math than to not hate math and not know math. <laughs> like you, you, I have no idea what you just said. Well, like the goal is that they know math. And if they're going to hate it, that's fine. But in like what I'm proposing is what's so bad or wrong about a kid not knowing math, but at least they don't hate math. Yes. And so maybe at like 12 they're like, "Hey, I actually really want to learn math and they're not jaded from years of, I mean, I'm projecting right now because I like got really burned in math classes. I hate math. I'm a product of that environment of, uh, no one showed me the beauty of math. No one, I, I just had to learn it. And it was the only class that I failed. Instead of being amazed and invited into math, you were shamed and forced. Yes. Which made you hate it. And I think some people might say like... It also made me think I was stupid too. Yeah. And some people might say, oh, what are you kidding? What are you talking about? The shame and beauty of math? Yes. (laughs) If you don't know that, maybe you've never experienced what math can be because... I remember, I thought it was so dorky at the time, but my honors geometry teacher, she would get so excited about proofs. And she just, like, loved them. And fucking A. I ended up loving them, too. See, I had the opposite experience, where I had, I I was the only memory I have of being totally shamed in front of a whole class. Because I went up to the board, and I didn't know how to draw a proof or write out a proof, like, even now I'm just like, okay, you have the shape and you have like one, two, three, four or something like that. You have like these like numbers, things that you have to like say proofs are. Hey, easy with that cigar. And the teacher was like, you don't know this. And I was like, 
I don't know this. <laughs> and it was so, I think I got a D one semester in that in geometry and then an F in the next semester. It still doesn't sound like you understand proofs. I don't. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit I don't. I'd never, because I don't want to. Like I, Damn, it ruined it for me. Oh man, that's such a shame because they are so much fun. Well, maybe you can teach me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that sounds miserable, actually. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe someone else can. T but maybe YouTube can teach me. But we started asking this question because there's all this emphasis, right, on the school years, and you have 12 years to teach the kids all those things. But then, inevitably, what tends to happen, at least in my schooling experience, is you end up hating school, and in a way, you end up hating reading or learning because. Once I got out of school, it probably took me 10 to 15 years before I started reading books that really excited and interested me Yeah, because I was so burned out on feeling like learning was shitty. You have to learn what someone else wants you to learn. You don't get yeah. to dig down deep and ask the question, what do I want to learn? So is that really a win? Like if you can compare, and I don't think you always have to choose, but let's just look at two options. One is, okay, you get your kids to learn for 12 years, but then they graduate and they hate learning. So they're essentially done learning for the rest of their life because then they go off to work. And just like they made a teacher and a principal happy, now they're trying to make a boss happy. So they spend the rest of their life following directions instead of loving learning. That's option A. Option B is you might not learn as much for the first 12 years. You let the kids mm -hmm. fuck around a little bit more. You give them more creativity, more space, more freedom. But the learning that they do, they actually learn that learning itself is fun mm -hmm. and rewarding and profitable and interesting. And then they, after the 12 years, they maybe haven't learned as much as someone who was forced to learn possibly. But, but they're set up to learn anything for the entire for rest entire of their life. lives yeah. they yep. have if you live to be 70 now they have 70 minus 15 another 55 years of learning to do mm -hmm. okay so these are the questions that are plaguing us as we're contemplating taking this year off and i i just felt like i needed to know the answer instead of just forcing kids but but deep down, and I, I, this entire backstory, which is now 15 minutes long, was all to get to this one point Yeah. for me, which was the question I had to ask myself is, what if at the end of a year my kid's behind? Yeah. What will I, will I feel okay as a parent? Will, am I still a good parent? Am I a shitty parent at this point? Is my kid going to be miserable? And that's when I realized... I think a lot of the education that we did, that we forced our kids to do, was really more for us than it was for them. It was because we didn't feel okay with being a bad parent. So it was a safer route for us to force this, what I would consider a sub-standard learning style upon our kids, basically mm -hmm. to feel good as a parent. There's also a something telling us what a good parent is and a good parent is in our society mostly with school is make sure they know a b or c and if they don't know a b or c then you're kind of fucking them up 
And what ultimately gave me the freedom to move into this year off of school was I came to this, I think more for spiritually where we were at, at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I came to this conclusion that if my kids graduated high school and couldn't read, I would be okay with that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, that's one of the most fucking controversial things you can say in our culture because people are like, well, everyone needs to read. It's like, no, actually you don't. <laughs> I mean, it's nice. Let's just say it's nice. It's really convenient and it's great. But, but when you say need, a lot of times the things that we think we need actually become the shackles and bondage that become our greatest fears that dictate the rest of our lives. Yeah. So everything's kind of optional, including reading. It's well, not, there's no sacred law. There's no rule. There's no 10 commandment. There's no. And I think how you deal with your child, if you believe reading's a need versus a nice thing to have makes all the difference too because i think you you could better listen to your child if you just think if you don't have this like urgency around reading like if you can just lay back a little bit and just calm down a little bit (laughs) and by the way i'm saying this as a aspiring professional writer Mm -hmm. so i love reading i love books i i love it when my kids read but there's a difference between loving something and enjoying it and seeing it as mandatory for every human on the planet yeah and one final side note even though i don't want to be all defensive about this because i just think it's tedious is we ate out of a dumpster for a year like and we're fine it was a pretty suave dumpster though yeah you got to know how to find them that's for (laughs) damn sure but at the end of the day we didn't need to read to eat like, you don't need to read to put food in your mouth. Yeah. You need to read to fit in in society. But there's so many ways our family has learned that we don't fit in in society that we've just learned, like, you'll be okay. It's it's a good skill to learn how to not fit in or how to deal with not fitting in. Yeah, that's what they should be teaching in school. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what happens when someone bullies you. Well, first of all, you feel sorry for them because they probably yeah. don't feel adequate themselves. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just go go find your people <laughs> shit why don't they teach that okay so that year experiment bled into an entire lifestyle for us where our family then Cammy and I started to explore things that we were passionate about that we had neglected for decades because we were caught in this hamster wheel of life doing things that we felt like we needed to do but didn't really value ourselves mm-hmm. um, so then you started learning guitar I started running. I started reading chapter books to the kids because I felt like I actually had the energy and time to do it. That you enjoyed. That I enjoy doing that. Yeah, I enjoy reading out loud. Which, yeah, we were not doing before. Yeah. And it became such an addictive lifestyle to us. I mean, we ran our first marathon that year. We we noticed our family was so much more relaxed. There we were like learning music, and the kids were. I mean, it felt like they were fucking musical prodigies. And we, by the way, we weren't forcing them to learn music either. That was all optional. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't forcing them to run. I was just running, and I started enjoying it. And then they started joining us. 
mm-hmm. all this type of stuff, that it became so addicting that we never went back to school. And then uh, somewhere along the way, instead of just telling people we quit school, they were like, oh, that's called unschooling. I was going to say, I didn't even know that that term existed. I know. Until, I don't even know, six years ago. And then instead of being like, fucking oh. dropouts and quitters, we could now walk around with this label of unschooler and now feel, I guess, better about ourselves. Well, when people, they'll say to me, oh, so you unschool? I, I'm usually like, well. <laughs> what the fuck is unschooling? I feel like unschooling is even more intentional than what I've done. <laughs> Let me, what happens if you Google unschooling? I'm really curious now. Hang on. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's probably different types of unschooling. Isn't unschooling There's, just not schooling? I think, okay. I think it has something to do unschooling with unschooling is a form mm-hmm. of homeschooling. It says. Okay. Which is the education of children at home or other places rather than in a school. It involves teaching children based on their interests. Yeah. That's what it Rather is. Rather than a set of curriculum. Yep. Okay. Which I, should be called something other than unschooling, I feel like, because... Yeah, it's called living. Yeah. It's called tuning into each other and figuring out, I'm interested in what you're interested in, and you're interested in what I'm interested in, and let's learn together. And I'm willing to help people that are smaller than me. Help people that are smaller than you with their own interests and passions. So we're on year eight of this lifestyle. And I want to, I've thought about making entire episodes about this, but shit, this is, we are not going to finish in the next nine minutes, first of all. Second of all, this is going to bleed into some other areas that I've been meaning to talk about for a long time. I want to give just two little snapshots because people are going to say or feel maybe, well, that's easy for you to do, uh, but that isn't. That's not gonna make for successful kids. Like, they have to get into the quote unquote real world. Okay, two snapshots. One, last year, our 16, 17 year old daughter Eden announces that she wants to go to school for the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. The high school is across the street, so we're like, this will be interesting. Yeah. So she goes. First year of school mm-hmm. ever, besides Dove, Preschool. who did kindergarten. Eden did preschool, but does oh, that yeah. count? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Here's nap time. Actually, that's a really important Dude, thing to learn. Preschool's pretty, pretty. That preschool is pretty cool. Snacks, nap mm-hmm. time, teacher Bonnie. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she got straight A's, but I know she got A's and B's. Mm-hmm. She was the top of her class and some shit. And then when we had a Christmas party. Both the principal and her algebra teacher came to our house. Yeah. So if you want whatever you want to call success, I think like the school was upset when she announced she wasn't going back this year because it was COVID and it was all lame. Okay, that's uh, case number one. Case number two is my son, who is 16, He's 16 now, yeah. right now, um, has never been to a day of school in his life and currently has a job where he is making. $30 an hour working in his pajamas from home, whichever hours he wants and has enough money saved that this week, his question for me when we got to lunch is bugging me about how to invest money in the stock market. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling him he should buy this week. Cause I think shit's going to go crazy. And the oh, stocks are going to go way down. Inauguration yeah. day. 
which I don't know much, but I know you're supposed to buy when everyone else is selling and it's supposed to be dropping. So anyways, that's what I advised him. Look at that. And after I was, the most money I've made this year has been in uh, psychedelic medicinal stocks. Yeah. And that's what he says he wants to invest in. I mean, if it's working. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So two success stories where not one day of school for one of them, and he's making more money than any job that I ever worked at in terms of like got paid hourly. Yeah. And I don't think that's like random. I don't think it's random and I don't think it's a fucking miracle either. Yeah. Like this is stuff. Okay. I, yeah, man, there's so much we can get into with this whole like education thing because we could do a part two if we and a three and a four because <laughs> basically the nutshell of that is I feel like education actually makes kids dumber. It gets them to follow directions and follow procedures, but robots are replacing people left and right, and Amazon is replacing people. Well, and it silences their intuition inside of them. Like what, I mean, they don't have time to ask, what do they want to do? They don't have time to hone the skills they're born with or the passions they're born with. It's so much of it's busy work and so much of it is just it isn't catered to the individual it's catered to the masses or Which it's really catered to the busy system. work is the most dangerous work you could ever do because mm. it's the most likely to be replaced by a robot mm. or a giant company mm. yeah so that's where what i'm highly attuned to teaching my kids or at least equipping them for if they're interested is things like storytelling and art because those are the things that will not be replaceable they are truly unique and I think we'll always have value to society. So, but those are the hardest things to learn in school. And storytelling and art are very broad, actually. Like when you think about There's it. There's a million ways to do it. Yeah, art is act can be very broad. You can edit video, you can film video, you can animate, you can write stories, you can write blog posts, you can write social media posts, you, you can, can do make photography. Char- char- you can make chairs, you can sew, I mean, countless things you can do with your hands you can cook i mean they're so it's like vast okay shit that was a 26 minute intro in a way because coming back to our non-clickbaity title the whole point of why we started this is this week i'm teaching our daughter who is nine uh yeah she's almost 10 okay yeah nine uh philia Mm -hmm. how to well, it was supposed to be how to do subtraction, but like borrowing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then it led to counting by fives and tens because I realized you can't really do borrowing very well if you don't realize the ones place and the tens place Yeah, and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. So yeah. we're sitting there in the morning and I'm, I'm teaching her for like, like 10 minutes at a time. And I, at the end of it, I told Cammie, I think she might be dyslexic. Mm-hmm. because she kept on writing numbers backwards, which I don't think is just a sign of dyslexia. But stuff was, like, stuff that wasn't difficult to other people is difficult to her, like counting to 100 or writing out 1 to 100. Mm-hmm. And she's not a dumb kid. No, she's She's, she's smart. Yeah. Um, 
like in other ways. But yeah. when it came to writing out numbers, it was very frustrating and difficult and challenging to her. And because we're not in a school system, maybe they would normally spot that like earlier. Well, I kind of felt bad for not spotting it earlier, but I don't know a lot about dyslexia. So I was really glad that you said that. Um, but I have spent two years trying to teach her how to read. And I've had, you know, four other kids before her that I've taught how to read. And I've never dealt with what I'm dealing with with her. And that it's all so frustrating to her. Like, and she's, I chalked it up to, oh, well, maybe she just doesn't really like it. Not that this is hard for her or that the, the way I'm doing it isn't working for her. But and now I'm like, oh, maybe this like just wasn't working for her at all. And once again, if people are going to say, well, this is a product of you being at home or unschooling, the reason why I led with the two other success stories is because it's not. We've had other kids that have like learned to read and read every day. No, yeah, this was And even our really four-year-old Rainier... Is. He's picking up reading right now and quite a bit of math on his own. He just enjoys doing it. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he can actually count to 100 Yeah. or write out 1 to 100 fairly easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, unless she had a, a teacher that could have spotted this, I think school would have been really hard for her um, because what I was doing, I was doing like barely any school with her with reading and it was like it was like tough for both of us now i want to talk about something that this is the thing i'm the most excited to talk about on this podcast which is why did you feel bad that we didn't spot this yeah because and i i think i kind of know the answer but we have a kid that's run three marathons one ultra marathon has hiked the fucking Appalachian trail mm -hmm. creates art on the regular. Yeah. Loves business. Yeah. Loves, um, beauty, mm -hmm. nature, loves freedom, nature, mm -hmm. and all these things. Very athletic. So is very accomplished from one perspective. Yeah. Not the types of things you get rewarded for as a parent, by the way. In fact, in fact, on our videos, people give us the most shit about, about her running a marathon because they're like, oh, she's kids too young. Kids are supposed to be doing school. It's going to hurt her legs, her growth plates. Which is not medically proven by anyone that there is a magical age at which you should run marathons or not. And so she's killing it as a kid, hmm. but she's not killing it in the school system. And because of that, what? We're supposed to feel guilty? Well, part of why I feel bad is I feel like I put her through two years of hell. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, but and I if I would have known that she didn't learn this way, that this was not working for her, I I would have stopped and like mm. tried something different. Like I'm gonna do now. Like I'm gonna try something different that hopefully will be better for her, better suited for her. Um, no. that's, that's one thing. Like I didn't, I like didn't want to frustrate her. Um, and maybe I just, I'm, I'm being too hard on myself in the sense of, oh, you're the mom. You should have known, you know, you should have picked up on this sooner. 
Um, like it, it's almost like, oh, you picked up on it in like teaching her for one week. I've been teaching her for two fucking years and I didn't pick up on this. Well, you picked up on something. I picked up on, I laid off. I let her, I did not push her too hard. Which is a huge thing. Yeah. That's picking up. You didn't pick up on the label. But I think our yeah. culture has this value on labeling shit where they're like, you're dyslexic, you're ADD, mm-hmm. you're, a- what are, there's so many different things now. Hyperactive. Where, yeah, hyperactive learning disorders. All of which I think for our culture are very, it's like our kids are normal, but the systems that they're not fitting in, are mm. the systems themselves are not normal. Mm. They're not for humans. They're built for schools and they're built for, you know, they're built for creating machines, basically. Yeah. It's like a human factory and a human doesn't fit. So we come up with a label for it and we get really good at all these labels. And then the kids wear these labels around as if they're busted. Yeah, I'd like, when you said she might be dyslexic, I I was, I thought to myself, I'm not going to tell her this. I don't, I mean, not that I want to keep information from her, but I want to be really careful in saying to her, oh, you might be dyslexic. Because it's like to a nine-year-old, she'd be like, what's that? <laughs> like, what does that dyslexia mean? Dyslexia is... I mean, I'm fine with it as a term. I don't think it's a moral thing. But in our culture, because reading is given such a high importance in education, that type of education, by the way, yeah, um, we tend to define kids by what they can't do mm. instead of what they can do. So when you tell someone they're dyslexic or they have a learning disability, which is why I don't like the title of this video, we're saying you can't do this, which yeah. may or may not be true. But there's a shit ton of things that everyone can't do. And kids in school who have their creativity stifled can't do. Yeah. And there's a ton of things she can do. So why would we pick yeah. the one thing? I mean, she's a accomplished athlete, creative, learner, grower, lover. And then we're like, you're dyslexic. <laughs> you can't read faster. But the thing is, every single person learns differently right like we're all we're none of us are cookie cutter cookie cutter whatever things so everyone learns differently so if you just like see it like that like oh she learned like this is how Felia learns like or this is what works for her i think is a way more positive uh inclusive way to see humans which is a really hard th- thing to do as a parent if you're categorizing her as a dyslexic primarily and And if you're like damn it you need to read (laughs) yeah because i've seen grown adults now we have friends that are adults that were diagnosed with learning disabilities at young ages yeah and it still affects them to this day their self-esteem they walk around seeing themselves as less than and overcompensating because in a public school in the second grade they were given this label yeah. That primarily defined them, whether the school intended that or not. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's true. And this is where, yeah. you know, the, we, we're so, um, you know, being creatures of a social nature, it's so easy to compare ourselves to others and feel like the 
goal is to fit into our culture and society. Mm-hmm. But yet, it doesn't take much to step back. I mean, I, I don't have the stats on this, but I would venture to guess that less than 1% of human population in history has ever read. Mm. I mean, if you look at, what was it? The Gutenberg Press was invented 500 years ago, basically. And even then it was for rich people. Like the first Bibles that people carried around, it was crazy when people carried a Bible because like, do you know who had them? Rich people. I was going to say, it was a power thing. Yes, like Mm -hmm. the normal schmucks, they went to the temple or the church and they were on these big ass scrolls and shit because no one could read or or you're if you didn't know how to read but you were religious and wanted to read the bible or whatever you were dependent on those who could read but guess what you got by fucking fine Mm -hmm. you lived your life you were happy you uh had sex you had kids you you know made things and you're creative and you you know whatever yeah. Like so much of your life went on. And I'm I love that society has progressed as a whole. And I'm glad that a lot a lot more people read and hopefully they enjoy it. And hopefully it makes society better. But just cuz one person doesn't do it well mm-hmm. to then give them a label as you're not normal. You're not good enough. You don't fit in. Mhm. Yeah. Can really give someone a complex. Especially at a young age. Well, and for me, this is the thing that I'm the most actually excited about because the second this thought crossed my mind, I mean, I'm with her and it, this bell goes off my head. Oh, you're dyslexic. My first question was, wow, I wonder what she's good at. Because, hmm. you know, like there's this TED Talk. It's one of the most viewed TED Talks of all times. And it was uh, Sir Ken Robinson who died this year. This guy's a fucking genius when it comes to kids and creativity and motivation and incentive and there was this kid that couldn't do shit in a classroom it was like moving around all the time add fucking bouncing off the walls <laughs> and they took him to this therapist and the therapist looked at him you know what the therapist said you remember uh they just want to dance they said oh he's a dancer yeah and everyone's like oh D- dance whoops like <laughs> where where does dance fall into that's school? not reading writing or arithmetic <laughs> but here was this person and then they went on to become this world-class dancer because they could no longer instead of defining them as a bad student they could say oh you're a good dancer but the but most people aren't going to be good at both necessarily like mm. we have these certain strengths where your strength is your weakness mm. so my ability to be big picture prevents me from being able to be a good small picture person hmm. a lot of times. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, but if people just walked around and were like, oh, you suck at, at details. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I suck at details. But instead, I've chosen to live my life and to surround myself with people that value my big picture things and can help me with my small picture detail issues. And mm-hmm. then I write books and set goals and do leadership that's kind of based upon my strengths. Hmm. And knowing Felia, I just watch around the house. And I'm like, man, this girl is a fucking, she's a little fairy. You know, the, the way she sees the world and the shit that she comes up with. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because she's fucking dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, she's just wired a It's not an way. impediment. It's actually her fuel. But the fact that she is not, does not gravitate towards 
written words on a page and isn't captivated by that gives her all this energy to be captivated for all these other things that I'm not able to see or create. Mm. So instantly I was like, oh, wow. Mm. Holy crap, I can see my breath. I thought that was like my smoke. But it's just so cold in here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Getting ready for our next hiking trip. (laughs) (laughs) My fingers are starting to get numb. Um, So instantly I was like, I want, it almost, just that label, just that belief that your strength is your weakness. It's an, what if it's an asset? Yes. Yeah. It is. But it won't be if our job is to make her fit in. It, we, we can ruin her life if we start using this label and um, educating her with the goal of uh, compensating for it. Hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Sheesh. And I don't think it's black or white. You know, one of the so the conversation you and I had today mm-hmm. over lunch was about this three hundred dollar curriculum to teach dyslexic kids how to read. Yeah. And I'm open to it, but I'm a little bit tentative about it. Yeah. Because if she wants to learn, I I would love to continue to move forward. I do think it's valuable. I do think it could be an asset. But I also think we need to be very careful Hmm. because anytime you force a kid, like, imperialistically to value your values. Yeah. And just because you're in the majority doesn't make it right, hmm. you know? So, okay, so everyone gets to read. So you make a kid cry, forcing them to read, and what, you're a goddamn hero? <laughs> when basically you're a fucking bully. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, just because you're in the majority, forcing a kid to do something, even if you say it's for their own goddamn good, it doesn't make it heroic. It doesn't make mm-hmm. it kind. It doesn't make it loving. It doesn't actually help the child. You're... There's a good chance you're doing it for yourself, mm-hmm. which can even be more confusing when you tell a child you're doing it for them. Yeah, that's interesting because in my mind, I'm like, well, that was like the only bar I had for my kids. Like, make sure they read. <laughs> and this kid isn't, isn't fitting my bar. It's not cutting it. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to make that mistake uh even though my bar is consider considerably low compared to a lot of parents out there with school it's still a bar and if she doesn't want to jump over it like who am i to make her jump over it yeah yeah i don't really have much else to say <laughs> yeah I mean, this is so big, this topic. Um, I think it gets into educational philosophy, parenting philosophy. The, you know, there's a good chance if you, like, identify yourself by something, there's a natural tendency to want to parent your kids in that direction. Like, if you're not okay with yourself expressing emotions, you're not going to be okay with your kids expressing emotions. Mm -hmm. But once again, that's your problem, not theirs. It just gets confusing because because we haven't worked through our shit and maybe we weren't accepted as a kid. And like as a little boy, if I wasn't allowed to cry, I know for me, when our little boys started crying, I wanted to shut them up and say things like, 
you're not going to get what you want if you cry and stop whining. I would like label these behaviors when really they're just expressing emotion, which is a very natural thing. But because I wasn't okay with my own emotion, I wanted to shut my kids up when it's not their, not only is it not their problem, they have emotion. That's an asset to a human being is to be able to have, express, and understand um, these visceral reactions in your mind and body. Mm. And so... I think on education levels, so many of us are caught up in making it, being successful, being accepted by our peers, that we put that shit on our kids. And it can even be a positive, too. too. I love reading. I've always loved reading. So I look at Flea, I'm like, you're going to love reading, too. Like, come on, you, you need to learn how to read because there's so many great books out there. But what if she isn't me, which she isn't me? But what if she's not, doesn't really care that much about reading, even for the rest of her life? Um, but she cares about other things. Then, okay. Like, and that's, I did have that sense with her. I, I kept thinking, okay, she doesn't have the drive that I've seen with our other kids to learn how to read. And I didn't know why, and I still don't know why. Um, but one of my hunches before this whole dyslexia conversation was maybe she's just not that interested, at least right now. And isn't that okay? Is that okay? It's not like she's not interested in anything. She, she's, oh, no. She's, she's interested in a lot of a things. A lot of things. Just not reading. <laughs> she's not interested in... But she's interested in letters if if I can tell her which letters to type into the computer to to YouTube to draw. Like can can you tell me how to spell draw, how to draw a bunny? That's what she's interested in cuz she cuz she knows that'll get her to how to draw a bunny. And <laughs> she wants to draw a bunny. So if our definition of being a good parent is our kids getting good grades, or reading, writing, and doing math by a certain age, or being at a certain level um, among their peers academically, I think we're going to parent accordingly. And our kids are going to succeed or suffer based upon those standards. But I think it's better to opt in for a, a little bit more broad definition of what a good parent is. Maybe it's more even humane. It's more humane to have a broader definition that will include more humans. Yeah. I'm not sure what you're saying, but I <laughs> well, you think said, I, I you think said the I word better, which I agree. But even just thinking like it's more humane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. I like that. But so my standard for being a good parent or being a better parent, even from compared to yesterday, like what I want to be tomorrow, I want to be more understanding of my kids. I want to understand them more. Mm -hmm. I want to be more accepting of who they are already, not who they're going to become, but who they are right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. I want to become more appreciative and um, amazed at who and what they are. I want to help facilitate what they want and the way that they work not just what i want and the way society works 
Yes. Parenting is hard. Those things that I just mentioned just now are not no. easy. No. And we're talking, but I it's, mean, you'll die a thousand deaths to yourself if you want to parent that way. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's involved rethinking my entire life and my own way of seeing myself. It's actually changed our marriage. Um, it's involved a shit ton of therapy and ego deaths and, but also a, a shit ton of maturity and growth hmm. on my part instead of this same old drum beat of like force kids using the same damn techniques and discipline methods to learn. You fucking bribe them. You fucking discipline them and you threaten them. And it's just like the same old shit. It's like, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like it's not easy or like it doesn't have its place, but I, I'm also want to say, can't we do better than that? Mm-hmm. Instead of just getting kids to read faster, earlier, more, do math faster, earlier, more, do fucking science faster, earlier, more. What if humans are more beautiful than faster, earlier? That's machine work. Machines do shit faster, earlier, more. But we're not machines. Like, we're more complex than that, and I think we're missing out when we compete like machines compete. Yep. I feel like this is a fucking TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. What do you guys think about that? Huh? One question I have is what do you say to a parent who doesn't have the options to I don't know I mean the point that we're making isn't no public school or no school I mean so I think like the broader point here is just being able to take a step back and and ask what are my motivations and how are they harming or helping my child and who they actually are? Yeah. Um, because you can ask that question and they can stay in school and they can, they can Completely. do everything normal, like as far as our society is concerned. But if they have you as a parent, as, as someone who they, f- the child feels like, I can be myself with and I don't have to prove myself to you because they already have to prove them, you know, themselves to the system. I think that can go a long way. Yeah. And I'm, I love that you mentioned that because, um, I'm not against school. I am against the belief that says we need school. Just like I'm not against reading, Yeah. but I am against the belief that says you need to read. Yeah, because you take something that's beautiful and good, and then you all of a sudden you turn it into a requirement that now requires shame to motivate people. Because any requirement that we have hmm. will, by its definition, almost become more of a priority over, over human need at some points. Yeah, yeah, because for some people they need to put their kids in school. Like fucking great, dude. Yeah, it. but in the back of our minds, I think it's good if we realize. That's a choice we're making that's optional, that has a positive and negative effects uh, um, upon our kids. Because I have a friend that I was talking to recently who sends her kids to school, 
and we were talking about the um like the the nice thing about Flea now is she can do this creative work and she doesn't know how to read, but no one's making fun of her for it. Mm. Like she's just living her life. Now, if she was in school, I guarantee she'd have labels, teachers, and peers that are all kind of like working around her that all make her feel inferior. Yeah. And when you have that systemic um, model Mm -hmm. that prioritizes the certain thing, which I don't even think is bad, it's just not for everyone, um, you need to be aware of the impact that's going to have on the kids that don't fit in. I mean, we experienced this big time with the church thing Mm -hmm. because I'm all for people like going to church and do their religious thing, but some people don't fit into it. They can't, Mm -hmm. whether it's their sexual orientation, whether it's their um, financial uh, background or the way that they were raised or the drugs that they do, where they're being told that they're a shitty religious person just for existing. Mm -hmm. It's not, and then, you know, if you want to go to church, fucking go to church, but it's not for everyone. It's that system is not going to make some people, the odds are stacked against them from the very beginning. Mm. And if you believe that church is mandatory for everyone, you're going to be an asshole to some people. (laughs) And if you believe school is mandatory for everyone, you're going to be an asshole to some people. Uh, or may- if you believe maybe your kids unschooling's for everyone you're going to be an asshole mm-hmm. to the people who put their kids in school i mean even smoking cigars is not for everyone no it's just for it's not it's for me though <laughs> yeah it is shit okay i think i'm done i think i'm done do you have anything else no let's wrap it okay it's good um, I Good. think I need to like tell people to do a bunch of stuff. Okay. Like buy our books or. Um... Oh yeah, we got a cool book out. Well, no, you know, I mean, I do have this book, <laughs> this little book about hiking, actually. Oh, we, we do. Do we talk about this stuff in there? I think. Um, you tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, Carrie hasn't read it yet. Shit. I haven't read this current version. That is very, um, very true. Okay, so forget that. But this, uh, no, I'll still list them as a sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by 2,000 Miles Together, the story of the largest family to hike the Appalachian Trail. But mm-hmm. actually, you know what book I was thinking about that I think we talk about this more is a book I wrote before this, which is a very short book called Unleash Your Family. And mm-hmm. that's available on Amazon too. But yeah. we do talk about how our family spent a week trying to discover and encourage our kids to do what they themselves created as a goal. Yeah. Um, Which is like really important because what I'm not suggesting is, so their school, which people see as this active, kind of proactive, aggressive learning behavior. What I'm not suggesting is you just sit back and do nothing. This isn't necessarily the easier route. It's not, um, the alternative is not nothing. The alternative could be um, well, it is involves some letting go, but that's not a passive activity for anyone that is familiar with meditation or, or anything like that. It's yeah. very difficult to mm-hmm. let go of something. It's very proactive behavior, but it's a more accepting behavior, and you're, you're partnering more with reality instead of fighting against it. And then you have more ears and energy to invest into the things that your kids are good at. Mm-hmm. 
which is why I think one of our kids is making $30 an hour in their pajamas. Mm-hmm. It's because he's doing what he's good at. Um, yeah. And you can find all sorts of opportunities that you would not have otherwise been able to find. So you can learn more about that in our other book, Unleash Your Family. Yes. And you can find both books, The 2,000 Miles Together, Unleash Your Family, and this cool Fight for Together mug here. Dude, this coffee da, da, da. is so cold right now. It started off being it's hot. It's an iced coffee now. <laughs> it is so cold right now. You can find all that and more on our merch site, which is fightfortogether.bigcartel.com. And that's fight for together is dot big and cartel c a r t e l dot com. Okay, I am so done with this podcast. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time. Okay.